And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. Good morning. He is Eric Hurley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Merry almost Christmas. (laughs) Not far away. Uh, you know, we were uh, talking about the fact that uh, the governor of Texas, uh, Greg Abbott, uh, signing the bill yesterday that would make it a state crime to cross the border illegally. Yeah. Uh, would give you a choice if you were caught by the state of Texas. Uh, you either uh, uh, go back or you face misdemeanor charges. If you try it again, it could go up to felony charges. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be challenged by the federal government. We're sure of it. Or by, if not the federal government, other organizations. Um, and the question, the question comes down to two specific points for me. And the one would, the one would be, uh, this is the legal thing that you would argue. How? Because if they if they want to bring in, if the other side brings in the president of Arizona. And the Supreme Court look, could look at this and say, well, this is a different situation. That was about stopping people in cars. Right. This is about apprehending them at the border. So it's a completely different situation. Right. And, and you know, and mostly, I mean, the police stopping your cars or whatever, uh, street corner, whatever, this would be at the border is where they would be looking to arrest you if you were a legal immigrant. Not that they couldn't arrest you elsewhere if they found out. Now, how would they find out? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how that would come into the legal arguments of the, the case if right, you weren't right. at if you weren't actually at the border crossing at uh, at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. But it gets down to the bigger question to me is. Uh, we live in a country where the states. You know, we're supposed to be where most things were done. Obviously, national defense and border is on the federal government. So there would be two things. How badly can a state, excuse me, how how bad can a 
Can the federal government hurt a state before a state can protect itself? Uh, And and so that would be, now, there's two parts to that. Uh, What recourse does a state have if the federal government will not protect the state and you have now the history of being harmed, that state being harmed over and over and over and over again, we've seen it now spread out to different parts of the country, New York and Chicago, things we've never seen before. All you have to do is look at the pictures and look at the numbers and know that massive illegal immigration into this country is greater than it's ever been, ever. Yeah, right. And the state of Texas have said, we have a right to protect our borders if the federal government refuses to do so. Now, there would be two points to this. One would be if Congress enacts a law where the federal government hurts a state, what is the recourse of that state? The second question would be if the administrative state comes up and changes a law that Congress passes, which I think an argument can be made in this particular case, as Andrew McCarthy pointed out the other day. But if they change a law and permanently change a law by calling it an emergency and a permanent emergency, but it doesn't go through Congress, does the state have a recourse to protect itself or be reimbursed for the cost of what the federal government is doing. Those would be the questions that I would, those would be the two legal questions that I think are probably the, the, and there may be more that I haven't thought of here, but those are two that I thought, okay, that would be a good starting point for this particular Supreme Court. Because that would be the big question. Because I'm trying to think of a comparison and I can't at the moment. But let's say it's outside of immigration and it's something else. Can the federal government, what is, what is, what does the Constitution say about the federal government? And this isn't accidental. It's not negligence. They are doing this on purpose. And so if the federal government's behavior is to hurt a state and its citizens, when does it, I guess there's a third question, when does it go too far? Well, and again, you're, when the intent and what the current law is, when it was changed with amnesty and the definition of amnesty changing, you change the dynamics to an infinite number, really. Think about it. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. 
Just something I've noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. You know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Nope. You know, we, we had the conversation okay. between uh, Democrats, all right, 5,000, and then at least one Republican. Oh, we're okay with three, and the law says zero. Okay, so you're, you're actually, there's, there's more points then. It's not just that, you know, because you're, you're saying, because the, the part, uh, Andrew MacArthur was making this point last week, that if you come in and ask for asylum, you're supposed to be detained. Right. So you get detained. If you say, okay, I want to be, you know, now, if you would have come in uh, five years ago and said, I wish to get asylum for climate change, I don't think you'd even be detained. I think you'd be sent back. Right. Yeah. The qualifications yeah. or standards right. for what qualifies as asylum right. have changed greatly. And, and, and the that, process of asylum has changed. Right. So the process has, the process has changed and the, the, uh, parameters have changed well the and the process itself the detention was the responsibility of the federal government right both the cost and the property the way it's changed now it's well and you know they you know trying to make the case well it's overrun well it's overrun you know because of the other part of changing the quality what qualifies as asylum and now the states, and we can bring in the mayor of New York City if we need to, I guess. All these cities are burdened with the cost of this, well, um, refusal to detain. This change in the process created an undue hardship on towns and states. And that's where I think you you have it in. I, d- I well, don't know. Let me Let me add this. Because the president campaigned on doing this. Yeah, inviting. Inviting them here, which, again, is outside of the law. Congress didn't invite them. He promised and delivered on that. Right. He promised and delivered on that. But that's important in a case because it's like, okay, how did this start? Well, the president invited them when he was a candidate. Right. that That you should come in. And then once he got into office, he was saying that those who were deported should try to come back in again to the United States. So you actually have an you know a number of 
actions that were taken even before he the he was part of the executive branch because that's how you'd look at it. Mm-hmm. But none of this here, none of that inviting them here, as the president did, saying that if you were deported, we'll invite you back again if you wish to come back again once he became president. Then, because of what he did, we did not have the resources to detain them here. And so instead of sending them back, well, also we we expanded the scope of asylums to include things that were never included before. So the executive branch changed that part of the law yeah. and then claimed emergent, uh, basically a permanent emergency status because we didn't have enough to detain. So they made the decision not to send those back to come back later on. But they made the decision, the executive branch decision, not a congressional decision to right. send them all over the country. And we've seen it's obvious this is something that's so this, this is one of those things the Supreme Court you'd look at you go, well, it's obvious. We know what the damage is. We see it every day in the news. Well, the administration created law, changed the law right. when that is up to Congress. If Congress, if our elected representatives had come up with it and said okay this is all these things are the things we're going to change well they represent us and that's the process that is supposed to be well you you don't have it's you know here's the thing there is no way to say well this was a great crisis remember what they tried to sell climate change uh covid for a minute yeah covid climate change yeah you know, and all of these things, and it's, okay, well, but that's always been the case. And every other nation is dealing with climate change and yeah. and COVID. Natural, it doesn't mean they all get to come here. Natural emergencies, things like yeah. You know, yeah. natural, natural disasters. Right. Uh, things like that. Well, I think there's actually two questions because I think another question. Now, now they, they probably wouldn't handle this because, it would, because it, it's not a part of the case. But there'd be two things I'd want to know. If Congress passes a law that hurts a state, what are the parameters of hurting a state? And the second one would be the executive branch changing the law in order to create a crisis, which then they say is an emergency, which gives them emergency powers to change the law. Right. And so... If you're saying they're allowed to damage a state, then what's the recourse for the state? If all if the court system exists to punish people for negligence and not following the law, and the the victims. You know, again, there's the criminal case, but then there's the civil case. The victims, which would be the people of that state, do they deserve any type of restitution? Number one, should it be stopped? And if you're not going to stop it, well, either way, if you're going to stop it or not stop it, do the states, the the people of of those states, in this case, the state of Texas, should they get restitution? And if not, why not? 
And then can you answer the question, if you're a Supreme Court justice, how whether it's Congress or the executive branch not following the law? How far can a government, federal, the federal government go to hurt a state before the state citizens have a right to protect their border and their cities and their homes and their property? Well, certainly with the executive branch uh, stepping outside the what I believe is the constitutional role and creating new immigration law with changing the definition or the parameters and, and criteria for asylum and then also changing the process of asylum seekers and how they are housed and who pays for it. That's where I, I think the Supreme Court would look at that and say, that's very different than Congress. our elected representatives yeah. doing something. They create new immigration law. It's on us to stand up and 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 voice our concerns with that, you know, and and, you know, um, the political ramifications of that, you know, will fall where they fall. But certainly with the executive branch. Changing immigration law. And then putting the burden in terms of the cost and security of these communities on cities, towns, and states, you don't get to do that. Now, I don't know what the I don't know what the remedy is, except for that you allow, in this case, you know, if it were Texas, uh, the U.S. government versus Texas, you allow Texas to keep deporting. Yeah, that that would be. Seem to be the recourse because right. that would be, even if the federal government doesn't have to right. pay them Cause the anything. Su- but Supreme Court would send it down to a lower court to figure out what to do. They might call it unconstitutional, and say Texas can continue to do it, but it goes back to a, an appeals court to come up with a resolution. Could be, yeah, yeah. In all likelihood, they won't come up with a resolution. No, not well. They'd send it back except for the court. decision of whether or not, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Texas has the right. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, making that decision. Right. Whether it's constitutional or not. Right. 866-90-RED-EYE. This morning's USDA Farm Report is brought to you by Howe's Products. Tested, trusted, guaranteed since 1920. It's rare that a farmer specializing in one crop recommends to others to grow the same crop in competition, but Virginia Christmas tree farmer Jim Gelson told me he's doing presentations to groups of farmers and would-be farmers, telling them... Look, forget about him. Plant Christmas trees. You don't have to get federal permits or anything. It's good to go. Get some acreage, plant some trees. And he even has some numbers to prove his case. You get trees for 20 cents apiece. Sorry, I'm going to put 5,000 Norway spruce out in the spring. That's 1000 bucks. In 12 years, they'll be worth a million dollars. What else can you invest in to get a return like that? Wait a minute, though. That's 12 years of no income. How am I going to keep going without any income? you got to believe in yourself, man. (laughs) Yeah, you laugh, but that's risky. But it's calculated risk. So you've got an idea of where your return is, what your odds of return are. Which he says is not true for hemp. Christmas trees, he says, are a solid commodity with a solid demand now. Yeah, and I think the future looks good. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This report brought to you by Cenex Fuels and Lubes. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio.
It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, this poll out the other day, an overwhelming majority of American voters want employers in the United States to be prosecuted for hiring illegal immigrants, a Fox News poll revealed. The poll, which surveyed more than 1,000 registered voters and was conducted from December 10th through the 13th, found that 64% of Americans want the federal government to penalize and fine employers that hire illegal immigrants for U.S. jobs akin to uh, enacting mandatory E-Verify nationwide. 32% oppose such a policy. 4% of voters, I don't know. Uh, importantly, for the 2024 presidential and congressional candidates, 61% of swing voters say that they support nationwide mandatory E-Verify as well as 64% of self-identified uh, moderates. As federal data uh, has shown, few employers today are prosecuted for hiring illegal immigrants. 64% of moderates? 64% of moderates, 61% who are of independents. liberals who don't want to say they're liberals because no conservative says, I'm a moderate. So that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> A poll from Rasmussen conducted in November showed 70% of likely U.S. voters, not registered voters, likely voters, uh, back uh, E-Verify. Yeah. Uh, And including 68% of working and lower middle class Americans who are most likely to compete with illegal immigrants for jobs. Right. In September... Believe it or not, uh, Representative Tom Cotton and Mitt Romney released legislation that would impose mandatory E-Verify nationwide while gradually raising the federal minimum wage to $11 okay. an hour by 2028. All right. Uh, interesting. Happy holidays. Have some eggnog. Red Eye Radio. Just plain? You know, I I love eggnog. I could could drink it by the gallon. I love the taste of it, but it doesn't sit well in my stomach. I'm not a big fan. I've never, never been a big fan. Of of eggnog, yeah. I mean, it's the worst for me being a type two diabetic. But my mom always had it around. She always bought the uh, I don't know, it was a quart size, I guess. Mm-hmm. She liked it. I don't think Dad did. I don't remember. Uh, neither one of them drink it now. But as a kid, I remember Mom having some in the fridge around this time of year. Yeah, it's just so sweet. I don't know what it is. I absolutely just, uh, I'm, I'm, I would be, I could be an addict of it. I could, but it doesn't sit well with my stomach. It just stays in there for, it stays in the stomach for like a day. It yeah, doesn't go away. 
Yeah, it's heavy. Does it does it digest? I, I well think or... that's I think that's part of my problem with it. It's like drinking melted ice cream. Yeah, and I'm like, see, yeah. nah. I can see that. Yeah. All right, are you ready? Hmm. Everybody, you're getting up now, thinking about breakfast, thinking about you know what you're going to be doing, jumping in the car, and everything Pouring else. Some eggnog on your raisin bran. Yeah. Yeah, some eggnog there. Eggnog goes good in the morning. Hey, if you want to feel full until 4, drink a quart of eggnog. No, a new study out. Uh, You knew this was coming. And we talked about it at the beginning of the show, Mm -hmm. but we need to bring it up at the end of the show. Okay. Just so you hear this. All right. Humans, this is a new study out of Great Britain. Yeah. Humans are fueling global warming uh-huh. by being human. By being human, by breathing. Just by breathing. By breathing and and uh and other uh uh emissions. Emissions, yes. Yes. There there are no zero emissions humans from uh, any uh port. There are none. Uh, carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide. We're busy little bees, aren't we? You're admit you are by breathing and uh, any other uh, 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 passages of um, emissions. Uh, emissions. Yes. Any other emissions? Mm-hmm. You are killing the planet. And you're gross. <laughs> I've decided I don't like humans. <laughs> Just now, I decided that. The study authors are urging caution in the assumption that the emissions from humans are negligible. I don't want to be anywhere around me. Yes. You're, let alone you. You're you're damn. <laughs> You're damaging the close environment near you and the overall environment by breathing and doing other things. And this study concludes we cannot blame any of it on the dog. No, no. So. Now, this is you. You're destroying the planet. Look, you knew. Your life is killing us. (laughs) How dare you? Live. Uh, it was a new government uh, uh, study. Researchers investigated the emissions of carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide in 104 adult volunteers in the UK. The last. I know you're thinking. The last one standing. You know who I, it's going to be. I know, <laughs> I, know, I know you're thinking. Hmm? What was the testing room like? this the last one standing you know who it's going to be mitt romney i think he's he's behind this he's He's trying to get rid of the humans we've seen this before climate depot had this and added their own nice little spin to it Mm -hmm. Uh if you truly care about the planet please go ahead 
and make the ultimate sacrifice. By the way, do I have to point out that MIT starts with MIT? Ah. This is a, it, it's a plot. Well, not M-I-double-T. I know. Uh, this is MIT technology. So if you if you truly care about the planet, please go ahead and make the ultimate sacrifice. Do it for the scientist who conducted the study. Do it for Al, Greta, and John. Do it for the World Economic Forum. I'm sure they will thank you for it. They might even breathe a sigh of relief. I get it. I see what you did there. What they're saying is... Quit existing. Yes. Yes. In order to save the planet, kill yourself. <laughs> Stop breathing. It's, <laughs> we, we, it's we, like the, uh, we knew it would get here. We knew like, it would get here. like the EV it. mandate. That's not a mandate. You can <laughs> buy... A car that's powered by a combustible combustible engine, but you can't drive it. <laughs> well, look, we're not outlawing humans. We're just outlawing breathing. <laughs> Wait for it. It'll happen sooner than you think. We won't. won't we won't be worrying about the EV mandate. Some good news. The second U.S. Court of Appeals revived a lawsuit last Friday brought forth by four female track and field athletes athletes against the state challenging the rules that allow trans-identified males to compete in women's sports. Mm. The judges found that the female runners have standing to sue. No kidding. You think? And have described injuries that could qualify for monetary damages. Oh, well, we saw this coming. I'd say 148 million sounds good. Yeah, or not? Is that what they got from Julia? It was 140. I mean, that's well. You know something? You saw where the the uh, the the two election workers are resuing him because after he was still continuing saying they did a, after it was over and the award you know it's going to be appealed the award but after that he's out there saying the exact same thing they did it they did it they did it mm. and they went back to the court and said we, we we're going to resue right yeah. he's, he's got to stop this and i started thinking that the 148 million was totally out I mean, that was in that's insane you can yeah. tell that that without question was a you know, a Washington D.C. jury that that voted yeah, on right, that, right? But he's not helping himself. No, he's not helping the appeals process, right? Or his chances at appeal. Interesting that it was said because you and I have always wondered this because we had, you know, we had talked about what we had talked about the specific allegations against people and and companies that weren't viewed as public figures. You know, and we're you know you look yeah. at, uh, and I and I saw somebody someone said you know it's like. You, Jenna Ellis, Giuliani, um, Sidney Powell, Sidney Powell, mm-hmm. all these people that defended the president—they're all getting punished. The only one that isn't is, you know, the person that they were, you know, trying to, you know, get in to be the president. But on the, things like this, he's always talked with an ambiguous tone. You and I, we and I talked about that because we said, remember when Sidney Powell 
the first time that Sidney Powell came out and started talking about that the uh, governor of Georgia and the secretary of state took a bribe. Yeah, and within, what, 36 hours? Yeah, she was no longer was a part of the campaign. In fact, they were denying that she was ever a part of the campaign, right. which was a ridiculous statement to make. They had to write, They wrote a statement on that Sunday, and she also wrote a statement saying the same mm-hmm. thing. That was right. an agreement that was made because she clearly crossed the line and they saw that. Why doesn't Giuliani see it now? I don't know. You know, you and you and I were shocked at the stupidity of the of the lawyers surrounding Trump, because the reason they haven't got Trump is he was very generic. Right. The election was stolen. Yeah. Right. But there's you're not defaming any individual. It'd be one thing if and, Giuliani said, I plan to win an appeal. You know, yeah, it, it, right. That's one thing. But. Now the appeals process is going to look different because often the amount is reduced after the fact or the, if they reach right. a settlement or whatever. Especially the, especially the punitive damages. Right. Yeah. But if you haven't learned, if, if the court doesn't believe you've learned. Then they may not reduce it much. If at all. That was just, but just bizarre. But getting back to here. The judges found that the uh, female runners have standing to sue and have described injuries that could qualify for monetary damages. According to NBC News, the runners are also seeking to alter some athletic records, alleging that they were deprived of opportunities at the elite level competitions because the trans identified males were allowed to compete. The case had initially been dismissed by a judge in the state in 2021 with the three judge panel of the Second Circuit affirming the decision one year ago. Both sides of the case called the ruling a victory. Um, With the ACLU and the ACLU Foundation of Connecticut, studying that the court wrote that the trans-identified runners have an ongoing interest in litigating against any alteration of their public athletic records. Well, that's interesting. I don't know where Mm. that's going there. Mm. Roger Brooks, a lawyer for Alliance Defending Freedom, who is representing the four female runners, said the decision was a victory not only for the women who have been deprived of medals, potential scholarships, and other athletic opportunities, but for all female athletes around the uh, the country. Um, here, here's the thing: if why can't because this is challenging, I believe. Well, if it's in the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, you're talking about your constitutional rights and whether that state law or the local law. Okay, the lawsuit brought uh, forth in 2020 on behalf of the runners over a Connecticut interscholastic athletic conference policy that allows biological males to compete on women's teams. Hmm. If the state, if the state legislature says it's okay, everything is co-ed. Mm-hmm. You may not like it, but the legislature has dictated it. Right. But when I saw the U.S. Court of Appeals, I thought that might be challenging Title IX. Because obviously, mm-hmm. when the Obama administration changed Title IX, 
Republicans. They're the ones that started this whole thing. Right. That was not the intent of the law. Why hasn't anybody, or maybe, maybe I'm sure the, the lawsuits are there, but they're not publicized as well as some of the other ones. Well, that and individuals. But, they may not have you know made it this far just yet. I mean, they, it, right. if you think about it, legally, we're still very, in, very early in. In the infancy of it. Yeah, you're yeah. right. That's a great point. You know, so, but I'm guessing that will get through the court and then more news will be on that based on whatever decision is made. Because that's really the uh, the question I think we have to, that has to be answered from the high court. It's right. on Title IX. Right. What did Title IX mean? Right. Title mean Title IX meant biological sex. We all know what it meant back then. Right. Yep. Had nothing to do with it. They changed it. Yep. But then again, th- this goes back to the whole border thing that we were talking about. Here you have an executive branch change a law that has damaged individuals. Well, the Obama administration said during their, in that joint edict, uh, Department of Education, Department of Justice, this is our interpretation of Title IX. Well, let's see what the high court says. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Front Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara, along with Eric Harley. Okay, that's me in the keyboard section at Guitar Center. <laughs> Is that one of those uh, cheap Casios there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we'll. Uh, I'm sure talk more about uh, this. A poll of small business owners: seventy-six percent said that they had not seen an increase in sales during the holiday season. Uh, I saw that the bump didn't. The bump didn't happen as didn't they happen. thought it was going to. Not yeah. the bum. The, the bump. bump. Yeah. The bump. Yeah. Um, and I saw that, and it's interesting because they were still waiting for it. Sometimes after Black Friday, well, it's kind of early, you know, in the season, then maybe it'll come along. Not so sure. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.